All right, so um, we are still on our teaching on Christ, the riches of eternal forgiveness, which under, uh, we continue with the responsibility of grace. Now, um, last week we were still continuing with our teaching on heresies as part of the works of the flesh. And uh, in an attempt to deal with heresies, we found ourselves explaining sound doctrine, which we believe is the antidote to um, false teaching. Hallelujah. So, um, we didn't plan to teach on sound doctrine, but our subject on heresy exposed us to that reality. So, we want to quickly finish it. The next week, we're going to look at repentance from sin. Then... Um, I'm sure we're going to end the year with uh, the responsibility of grace. And next year, we're going to start on uh, something new. Uh, so, um, let's quickly move on. Last week, we dealt with uh, uh, what sound doctrine is for. And we explained that sound doctrine is the lifeline of the church. A church without sound doctrine is a church without life. We explained that sound doctrine is the roadmap of the local church. Because it shows us the way and the path wherewith we will rest in what God has done for us. We also explained that number two, sound doctrine is for teaching and reading. It's for reading and teaching the Bible. So we said that whatever uh, we want to understand or teach, it is founded on sound doctrine which is revealed in the scriptures. Praise God. We also explained that sound doctrine is for holiness. If a believer wants to live right, the framework of that holiness is founded on uh, sound doctrine. That means without sound doctrine, the believer cannot live right. Praise God. A lot of times we, we hear people emphasizing on the fact that believers must live right, which is very, very critical. But we need to understand that living right must be founded on um, a reality. And that reality is Christ. We can't find a life outside of Christ. And if we want to live right, we can't live right on, on the basis of our strength. It is expected of the believer to live right. But that right living cannot be founded on his strength. In fact, the believer trying to live right without the Holy Spirit will fail drastically. This is very important. A believer who tries to live right outside the power of the Holy Spirit has failed already to begin with. So though we are expected to live right, which we are teaching now, the power or the empowerment of that right lifestyle is founded on the fabric of Christ. In fact, you cannot live right until you are aware or conscious of the fact that you have been made right by God. Without understanding that you are the righteousness of God, you have lost the strength to live right. So we said sound doctrine gives us the framework of how holily a believer should live. Number three, we said, number four, we said sound doctrine is for love. Without sound teaching, the church cannot love God. The church cannot love one another. The church cannot love a husband and wife and the church cannot even love their enemies. So we said sound doctrine gives us uh, establishment in love to love one another. A believer who has not yet found the secret or the key or is not walking in love has not been sounded by sound doctrine. He has not been grounded 
by sound doctrine. He has not been established by sound doctrine. A believer you find who does not forgive people, I mean, doesn't, hasn't been established. It's either he's receiving sound doctrine and he's, he's not paying attention to it or he's ignorant of his position in Christ. Number five, we said sound doctrine is for the unity of the local church. Sound doctrine is a framework for unity. We cannot live in unism or in unity outside of sound doctrine. You see, I keep repeating that whatever is not done out of a revelation will be done under stress. I mean, it's very important. Whatever is not done out of a revelation will be done in stress. So, if you are a church worker who is not founded and grounded in revelation, soon you'll be tired. If you are a pastor and pastoring without revelation, you'll be stressed, you'll be frustrated. So, a believer without revelation will end up in frustration. That is how come sound doctrine is so vital. Very vital. Number six, we said, sound doctrine is for worship. It's for worship. We can worship God properly outside of sound doctrine. When we tell people, lift up your hands in worship and people's hands are down and they don't really honor what Christ is doing in their midst, it's a sign they have not been grounded in sound doctrine. When men understand what Christ did, the price he paid with his blood, humility is unquestionable. You can't question it. Kneeling down before God is not a problem. Name the price and I'll pay it. When God names the price, you pay it. Lying down prostrate without looking at anybody becomes something you do with ease. Praise God. And number seven, we said, sound doctrine is for witnessing. It's for telling people about Christ. Because until you have been grounded in sound doctrine, you cannot be able to impact what you have received. If you don't know Jesus, you can't share Jesus. If you are not saturated with Christ, you cannot saturate others with Christ. What you don't know, you don't know. When you are grounded in sound doctrine, you are able to witness effectively. But it's unfortunate the church goes out to share Jesus without knowing and understanding this Jesus. I thank God for sound doctrine. So, how do we know that a doctrine is sound? That's what we started last week. How do we know that a doctrine is sound? We got to explain that we know a doctrine is sound by what it produces in the hearers. We know a doctrine is sound by what it produces in the hearers. What it produces in their hearts. By the fruit that, that, that is revealed from that doctrine. Every teaching has a fruit it produces. There are some teachings when people hear, they become proud. There are teachings people hear, they become intolerant. So, we know a doctrine is, is sound by the effect of that teaching in the lives of those who heard it. So we said number one, every sound doctrine must produce sound believers 
not forgetting that the word sound means healthy. It means wholesome. When a doctrine is sound, it means that doctrine is wholesome. It is very healthy. It is uncorrupt. So sound doctrine, we said doctrine also means teaching or instructions. So sound doctrine is healthy teaching or wholesome teaching. That which makes people whole. So we said we know a doctrine is sound, number one. We said every sound doctrine must produce sound and healthy believers. For us to know that a doctrine is sound, we see it by how it makes the believer. It must make him sound. Because sound doctrine is sound, it must make sound those who hear it. Because sound doctrine is sound, it must make sound those who hear it. Very important. When I say sound, I mean healthy. How do you know a believer is healthy? You can know it. By his zeal for the things of the spirit. You can know it by his prayer life. You can know it by how he deals with other believers. You can know it by his temper. You can know this man can have spiritual temperaments, which is exactly like Jesus. It's the character of God. So sound doctrine produces sound believers. Praise God. So we said a doctrine that makes people proud is not sound. A doctrine that makes people prayerless and wordless is not sound. A doctrine that makes people ungodly is not sound. A doctrine that makes people feel comfortable doing what is wrong and not seeing anything wrong with what is wrong is not sound. Praise Jesus. We said sound doctrine makes a powerful church. Very important. And sound doctrine, because it makes a powerful church, it makes powerful saints. I didn't say that last week, but you can write that down. Sound doctrine makes a powerful church and that sound doctrine makes powerful saints. It is only when you are sound can you raise sound men. And in fact, sound doctrine against heresy is the only way believers can be edified trained and established in Christ. Second Peter chapter 3 the verse 15. Second Peter 3:15. Now the Bible says an account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also according to the wisdom given him Given unto him, had written unto you. He's referring to the epistles of Paul. Peter was speaking about the pieces of Paul. In the next verse, he says, As also in all his epistles, which are letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. As they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Look at the next verse. He says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also be led away with the error of the wicked, far from your steadfastness. That means your groundedness. So Peter was saying that some of the things Apostle Paul writes in his epistles are hard. But he says, Unfortunately, those who are unlearned, 
He's not speak, speaking about illiterate. He's speaking to those who are not well taught in the teachings of the New Testament. He says those men, they can take those scriptures, twist them out of context, and bring themselves into distraction. So, you can use the Bible for evil. You can use the Bible to support evil. You can use the Bible to convince yourself that an evil act you are doing is right. And you can perfectly do it with skill. Yet the Bible says it can bring you into distraction. So a man can use the Bible to say, since David married more than one, I can also marry more than one. And he will justify himself. Praise God. Someone can say, since uh, Apostle Paul told Timothy to take a little bit of wine uh, to heal his ulcer problem, so the believer taking wine or alcohol doesn't matter. You see, you can use God's word for evil agenda. Praise God. You can, you can use God's word successfully. That is why it's very important that sound doctrine is extracted from the scriptures. Because the Bible, without the revelation of Jesus, can become an evil tool in the hands of evil men. It can become an evil tool in the hands of selfish men who care less about God. In fact, people have used this Bible for occultism. People have used this Bible to justify murder. You have no idea. So sound doctrine is to produce sound believers. Praise God. So, we explain that. How do you find a believer who is uh, sound? We can see that through the life of Apostle Paul because he was, the, he was the apostle of grace. When Paul was well taught by the Holy Spirit, it affected his prayer life. Now you find Paul in every epistle saying, I do not cease to give thanks, making mention of you in my prayers. Apostle Paul will tell you, continue instant in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Apostle Paul says, pray without ceasing. That's the evidence of a healthy believer. So, Apostle Paul is a typical example of a healthy believer. We found Jesus praying in his life on earth. So, Jesus had a prayer life. Every believer must have a prayer life if he is only sound. Praise God. Apostle Paul fasted often. In fact, he says, in fastings often. He labored, in fact, in um, Colossians 1.29. He says, whereunto I labor, striving, according to the workings, that, the workings of God, which worketh in me mightily. Look at this apostle of grace. He says, whereunto also I labor. You can go and check the Greek word for labor. It means to stress myself bodily in the kingdom. To involve myself in strenuous activities. You can imagine it's raining. Others are still sleeping. And you are here. You have to pass through the rain. It is labor. So sound doctrine produces believers who are willing to yield themselves to labor in the kingdom. So he says, whereunto I also labor, striving to his working, which, according to his working, which worketh mightily me. He acknowledged God's power within him, but he did not deny his responsibility to respond to that power. Praise God. 
So, Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the verse 10, look what he says. He says, ye are witnesses. In other words, the believers are witnesses of my lifestyle. He says, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Look, so there are believers who think that after being born again, their behavior doesn't matter. Listen, your behavior is, does not count as it pertains to you being saved. But your behavior counts after you are saved because a true indication you are saved is that you live the life of Christ. Now, if you say Christ is in me, how do I know? <laughs> is somebody getting this? If you say Christ is in me, how do I know? Now, can you convince a believer, a non-believer that Christ is in you? How will you convince him? By living that Christ. So you imagine a believer who says, Christ is in me, and he has insulted all his tenants in the area and in the house. You become a defeated believer who destroys his testimony before God, before men. I'm teaching you there. So Paul, you know, there are some pastors who only give testimonies of how they behaved only on the pulpit. We can't see it. Paul says you are witnesses. So people must see how you behave. He says ye are witnesses and God also. How holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Amazing. Second Corinthians chapter 4 the verse 1. Look at that. He says, therefore, seeing we have this ministry. So every believer has a ministry. He says, we, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Look, next verse. He says, but have renounced. We have renounced. In other words, we have denounced the hidden things of dishonesty. Not walking in craftiness, trickery. Look, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Look what Apostle Paul is doing. You know, many a times people talk about grace only from what Christ has done. But look, the Apostle of Grace, who taught us everything about grace. Look what he's saying about his behavior, his conduct, his manner of life. Very important. Praise God. Now, you see, I tell people that the true evidence that a man has encountered grace is seen in how he behaves after. I'll give you an example. When Zacchaeus encountered Jesus, the person of grace, guess what? He was a thief and he stole, he stole from people. When he encountered grace, guess what he did? He returned what he stole from men four times back to them. You know what it means? It, it means when a man finds true grace, he's supposed to do four times what he could not do when he was under the law. So, so in other words, he, if he was praying 30 minutes to please God, so that God will be happy with him when he was under the law. Now that he has understood his position in Christ, he cannot pray for five hours and he sees that as freestyle. <laughs> I told myself, no Lord preacher can, will pray more than me. No Lord preacher will pray more than me. No. I had to make a decision because I've understood my liberty. That liberty is not a blank check, but there's a price tag on it. 
I've understood my liberty. Now I am free to be who I truly am without stress under the law. That's the beauty of grace. And to do, see, grace is an enhancement. So many people are just stopping there and they're just rejoicing. That's where I'm under. See, being under grace should be the foundation. It should be the tool, the instrument, the fabric that makes you produce the original purpose of God, living for him. Praise God. Hallelujah. So, you know, sometimes when people hear about the grace of God, they, they, I, some time ago, I thought no preacher is supposed to preach about sin. When I hear about sin, I'm angry. But you see, we, we didn't get how to separate the wheat from the chaff. The problem is that preaching about sin is not sinful. It is not illegal. But threatening people with it is the problem. We don't threaten people with hell. We don't say, if you sin, you, you, you enter. God has already rejected you. Don't even bother coming to heaven. God's anger is upon you and he will kill you before your time. I, have you seen that you are getting sick? It is because of what you did. That's why you are feeling the pain in your, in your navel. Very soon your navel will break. God will finish you. That's the wrong approach for preaching about sin. I discovered that apostle of grace who is Paul spoke about sin more than any apostle in the entire Bible. You can go and check it out. Not just any apostle, but any author of the Bible. Apostle of, uh, the apostle of grace, Paul, was the greatest preacher of sin. But Paul taught on sin doctrinally and practically. He dealt with sin in the light of what Christ has done. And he dealt with sin in the light of what the believer must do. Very important. Apostle Paul dealt with sin in the light of what Christ has done. Then he dealt with sin in the light of what the believer must do. In other words, doctrinally, Apostle Paul tells you that you are crucified together with Christ. Your old man, the engine room of sin, has been dealt with. Now we see on that basis, sin does not have any car to use for evil purposes. Now a new driver has taken place, which is Jesus Christ. You must yield yourself to him unto righteousness. That's the teaching of sin. So today we don't yield again to the flesh. Why? Because we are men of the spirit. Praise God. Sin cheapens us. Sin cheapens us. Because you see, uh, when a believer gives himself to sin, you know what he's doing? It's like you have been given a car which has 10 horsepower. When a believer falls into sin, he's using the car under two horsepower. In other words, he's not using the car according to his function. So you are living below the belt. It is not your life. You are higher than that. So why do you stoop so low to the works of the flesh when there is a higher life of glory? Hmm. Praise God. Now, this is what I said. We said that God does not leave our liberty as a blank check. God does not leave our liberty as a blank check. Now, what is a blank check? Write what you want. 
God does not leave our liberty as a blank check. Okay, you are free. So you have a blank check. Do what you want. No, he doesn't leave our liberty on a blank check. Rather, he wants you to know that there is an amount on our liberty. And that amount is to live for him. There's already clearly stated amount on that check. And that amount is to live for him. So we need to understand liberty God's way. Liberty does not mean I am free from everything. Liberty in Christ means I am made free from sin. Now I serve him. Have you seen that? I'm made free from sin. Now I serve Christ. That's the liberty. That's how liberty must be explained. Number two. Sound doctrine produces holiness. Godliness and purity. We explained that. Titus chapter 2, the verse 11. We said, sound doctrine produces holiness, godliness, and purity. Look. He says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. Next verse. And says, we are instructed to turn from godless living. So this is an instruction. It's an instruction. He says, and sinful pleasures. We should live in this world, in this evil world, with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. Are you seeing that? Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Ephesians 5.3. Ephesians 5.3. Now watch. He says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, look, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. He says, let it not be once named. That means it shouldn't be found tagged upon a believer. And look at the next verse. He says, neither filthiness nor foolish talking. So uh, there are believers that can talk foolish. No, you haven't found some. There are some of you who have believing friends who talk foolishly. Loosely. They say anything. They can use censored F words like water. And they don't, they don't sense anything wrong with it. They are not careful of the choice of their words. Their words are not seasoned with grace. They can insult people as if they have never met Jesus before. And look, he says, no foolish talking, no jesting. That's expensive jokes. He says, which are not, are you seeing that? Which are what? Not convenient for the believer, but rather giving of thanks. Look at the verse 5. Okay, so let's, let's move on. Look at Romans chapter 6, the verse 14. Romans 6, 14. He says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. So when a man is truly under grace, sin will not have dominion over him. That's interesting. So sin shall not have dominion over the man which is under grace. So when a man professes that I am under grace, I should not see sin dominating his life. Am I teaching good here? First Peter chapter 1, verse 14. First Peter 1, 14. He says, as obedient children, that means God knows you'll be obedient. In other words, when a believer lives disobediently to God's word, God is shocked. 
he's shocked because he sees you as obedient. So he calls you as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former last in your ignorance. Next verse. He says, but as he which is which had called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Give that to me in NLT. The word conversation there means manner of life or conduct. Look, he says, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you in is holy. Now, what is holiness? It means to be set apart. To be set apart means that you are um, holy giving unto God. So when God says be ye holy, he's saying you are being set apart. You are being made unique. So that uniqueness must reveal itself through your attitude. If I'm holy, show it. I'm teaching with you. Now, um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the verse 1. So sound doctrine produces holiness. He says, therefore, he says, furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exalt you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk and to please God. Are you seeing that the believer has, God has patterned a way the believer should walk. Then he says, and to please God. So God is not only pleased with us. That is not all there is in the scriptures. We are to please him. How? He says, so ye will abound more and more. Next verse. He says, for ye know what commandments we give you by the Lord Jesus. I, I thought this is uh, the New Testament. Why am I seeing commandments there? That means they are New Testament commandments. Not the ordinances of the old. But they are commandments in the New Testament. That commandment is the gospel. is the New Testament epistles. We are to obey them. Praise God. Now look at the next verse. It says, for this is the will of God. Can you imagine? He says, this is the will of God. Even your sanctification. So when a believer lives a sanctified life, he's saying he's, he's living the will of God. Someone says, God, I want to know your will. Sanctification. I've answered your prayer. Stop praying about that. Sanctification. And he explained this sanctification clearly. Now, we got to understand that 1 Corinthians 1.30 tell tells us that it is of him that ye are in Christ Jesus who has been made unto us righteousness, holiness. Then he says sanctification and wisdom from God. So, we, are, we have understood that Christ is the sanctification of the believer. But in this verse in 1 Thessalonians, he's not speaking of Christ as our sanctification. He's speaking of the lifestyle of sanctification. He's not speaking of the position of sanctification. He's speaking of the conduct of that sanctified life. So he says that he should abstain from fornication. So abstaining from fornication, he calls it what? Sanctification. Now look at the next verse. He says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and in honor. Now give that to me in NLT to make it clearer. Look, he says that every one of you, that each one of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. Verse 5. Not in the last of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. 
That's the apostle of grace talking. Praise God. Now, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. It's a shocking scriptures. It says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This, this is not talking to um, an unbeliever. This is talking to a believer. Cleanse himself from all filthiness of the flesh. So, there is a duty for the believer to do. Am I helping somebody? So you need to write this down. The goal of grace is not to stuff you and equip you with knowledge. Rather, that knowledge is to produce a certain transformation in you. The goal of grace is not to stuff and equip you with knowledge. Rather, that knowledge is to produce a certain transformation in you. So, what am I saying? What I'm saying is that the revelation of Christ gives you knowledge or what we call epignosis, absolute knowledge, a recognition. And that recognition is supposed to produce in you a transformation to birth and newness of life. So we don't just shout that we have knowledge. No. That knowledge is to produce a certain quality of life in you. Praise the Lord. I'm helping someone. Now let's understand this. In the garden of Eden, God had fellowship with man. That's true, right? In the cool of the day. But you see, the fellowship God had with man was part of the benefits man enjoyed with God. But God gave man a responsibility before. He says, be fruitful and multiply. He didn't say rejoice in my fellowship with you. He says, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and have dominion. So there was a responsibility. It was a blessing God gave to him to be fruitful, to multiply, to replenish. Then sin came as an interruption. So man was to expand the garden. So God placed him in and the Bible says he was to nourish and cherish the garden. So God's purpose was that through the garden of Eden, man will spread that whole kingdom until it covers the whole earth. So remember, Eden did not cover the whole earth. There was the earth and there was the garden of Eden which was in the eastern part. So the garden was at one place and the purpose of God was that man will expand that garden until it fills the whole earth. And there was an interruption because of sin. But now in Christ Jesus, we have been restored. But you see, we are brought back into fellowship with God so that that interruption that was abrupted can now begin by we expanding the kingdom and being fruitful. Is someone getting this? See, actually, you did not need peace with God. Adam in the garden did not need peace with God. But you see in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that now we are at peace with God in Romans 5.1. 
Technically, God's goal for you was not to have peace with God. It was sin that brought that interruption. So peace was necessary so that the ongoing intercourse can continue. Now, what am I saying? Remember, God gave a purpose to Adam and Eve came as a helper to assist Adam to continue that process, right? And that, that, that process was interrupted. In the New Testament, Christ is that Adam who has an ongoing relationship with God and we came as the church to be part of that ongoing relationship. But now, in that relationship, there is a responsibility. What is the responsibility? Fruitfulness. So God brings us into fellowship that we continue that which is ongoing between Christ and God. I know some of you understand this after 10 years, but it's okay. So we must be fruitful. It's, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Be fruitful. In your actions, be fruitful in your words. Because that is the only way we can expand what God has begun in Christ. So your attitude, your lifestyle, your character should work towards expanding the kingdom. So that which does not expand the kingdom, you kill it. You give it no chance to dominate your life. Can I tell you something? Whatever you do in secret, which you cannot do before all men, is not of God. I'm saying something. Whatever you do in secret, which you cannot display before others to see, and it's only between you and yourself, that thing is not from God. <laughs> For this one, you don't need 10 years to You understand what I'm saying? It's just that you are not meditating over it. Whatever you do in secret, which cannot be displayed before men, is suspicious. I'm saying let's continue. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. So, surprisingly, the Bible tells us to pursue holiness and righteousness. We are to pursue righteousness like a cause. I thought we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Yes? Yeah, the Bible says pursue it. Pursue righteousness. That righteousness there is no position, it's conduct. Look at First Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. 1 Timothy 6, 11. Look, he says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Follow after righteousness. Another version says, Pursue righteousness. This is not, this is not the, the righteous position we have in Christ. He says, Follow after right living. Follow after, pursue it. 2 Timothy 2, 22. He says, Flee evil desires of the youth. Flee. Now give it to me in KJV. It says flee also youthful lust. See, there are some things you cannot stand. You must run. There are things we don't reason with. We run. Did you hear what I said? You do what? You run. There are some, <laughs> there are some victories. You can only win them to flight. I'm telling you. 
The day a lady tells me, Pastor, you are one of the cutest people I've ever found in my life. I, I will run with all my energy. You know, you can say, oh, Pastor, you're looking very nice. But once the thing is coming from a source, your, your cuteness ah, is, Pastor, mwah. hey. <laughs> Timothy, uh, Paul said, said to Timothy, mark them. I, I just... <laughs> Just recently, one lady herself was speaking to me genuinely. She said, when she finished, she said, I love you. <laughs> no, it was genuine. Very, very genuine. I said, I love you too. When I finished, I reported myself, baby, <laughs> please come home. This is one of my daughters. So, I mean, she's not from here. She, she finished having a chat. I advised her. She said, I love you. I said, I love you too. Please eat. <laughs> Praise God. I just showed it. Rep- see, report yourself. <laughs> no, tell somebody, report yourself. <laughs> so don't think I can't handle it. See, you can't handle it. You, you don't understand. Some of you get it uh, probably after you have your first child. There are some fights you can't fight. Hand over. <laughs> I'm serious. Though. Hand over. And it's so subtle. Very subtle. He says, run. He says, flee youthful lust, but follow righteousness. Follow it. Follow. Pursue righteousness. Praise Jesus. Psalm 119 verse 9. The Bible gives us a very top secret. Look. He says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereunto according to thy word. He's telling us, with a young man, he's telling us how we can cleanse our way. He says, by taking heed according to that word. So, you, the word of God is your secret to living a life that is cleansed. And look at the next two verses, the verse 11. He says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So, the secret not to sin against him is to hide his word in your heart. Am I forgiving? Yes. How far is my forgiveness? Eternal. But the sin have consequences, terrible ones. So he tells us the secret. Thy word have I hid in my heart, in the treasures of my heart, that I might not sin against thee. So a believer who constantly enjoys the pleasure of sin has not caught the revelation of God's word in his heart. It's simple. That I might not sin against thee. Now, I'm not speaking of sinless perfection where, where you will never do anything, but no. Because once we are still in this panoply of flesh, it still has failings and frailings. That is how come we have our helper, the Holy Spirit, who helps us to live the victorious life in Christ. See, everything you commit today in the New Testament is deliberate. <laughs> <laughs> 
It is deliberate. You knew what we're doing. You planned and calculated it. Is it lies? You planned it. Has anybody danced someone and said, hey, where am I? <laughs> Have you seen anybody who, who sings and he's, he's like, hi. Ah. Who removed my pants? Have you found a believer like that before? Uh, unless that believer is possessed. <laughs> so, everything is deliberate. So, when the believer says he chose it, he, he decided, he planned, meditated it, he knew what he was going to do. I'm telling you. When you know this, before that thought comes, deal with it. Lord, I don't know what happened to me. You know what happened to you. Hey, sorry for your language. <laughs> oh, you knew what happened to you. Praise the Lord. Praise Him. <laughs> Number three. Sound doctrine produces good fruits. Good fruits. I love the word. Produces good fruits. A believer who is stingy is a believer who has not encountered sound doctrine. <laughs> you, you, you are just stingy. 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 This hand does not move. Any call to give. Anybody who begs you for money. You, you don't give. Every day you are in saving yet you are always broke. Every day you are saving, yet you are broke. I mean to realize it. It's an, it's an evil fruit. When a believer has encountered sound doctrine, I'm telling you, he becomes liberal in his giving. I can give you countless number of times where I'm going to do things and people come to me in need and I have to sacrifice it. Countless number of times. Even for LGCC. I don't mind. I just finish and go and apologize to my wife. Baby, it's done. It's done. There's no food this week. Countless number of times. I, it's, it's, it's not in me to withhold. No. You become liberal. Abundance in giving. Even the, the amount the person is asking is too high. And it's like 10,000. You give him five CD. So he knows that, ah, you couldn't, but you tried. That's liberality. See, you cannot be a Christian and be stingy. It's wrong. You see, some of you, your father was stingy, your mother was stingy, your siblings are stingy, and you are also stingy. And that's the revelation you have. Stingy, stingy, stingy. See, release. It's not a good fruit. There are some of you, no matter the teaching they teach, God can't break your heart with giving. You have planned everything. Monday, beans and cocoa, four cities. Tuesday, kinky and pepper, three cities. You have calculated every budget for the month. And you have decided that means the whole thing, nothing will move my heart. You can die before me. Nothing will change. <laughs> and somebody is begging, you, you will let the person die. Die. Sweetie, die. I won't give you. I have planned, budgeted everything. <laughs> no, you can't be. You, you, you can't. That's a that's a wrong fruit. 
sound doctrine produces good fruit. And, and uh, we are going to look at the fruit of the Spirit. That is in Galatians chapter 5, the verse 22. Now watch this. You need to find out if these fruits are, are being born by you. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is not produced by the believer. It is born by the believer. So Jesus tells us if we abide in him, he didn't say we'll produce much fruit. He says we'll do what? Bear. Why did he say bear? Jesus says, I am the vine. Ye are the branch. The branch does not produce fruit. The branch rests in the empowerment of the vine to bear it. So the, the fruit in itself is produced by the vine and the branch only bears what the, the, the vine produces. So, there are many believers who are trying to produce it. No, it is who you are, so bear it. So, look, in NLT, give it to me in NLT. Look, he says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. So, the production is the work of the Holy Ghost. So, he says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. So, if this kind of fruit is not consistent with your life, you need to do some checkups. You need to do checkup. There's a problem with you. It means you're not healthy. Please, are you following this? If you don't find this being produced in you, you are not healthy. Please, very important though. You are not healthy. So, there are many believers who don't even know they are sick to begin with. And many have very, very appalling behaviors and they don't find anything wrong with them. The last time somebody approached you with that behavior, you insulted a person mercilessly. So the Holy Ghost himself is afraid. And the Holy Ghost says, We hail you, most high. He's scared to correct you. It produces love. Look, it says, but the, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. What, what's the first one? Love. And you see, technically, love is actually the, the, um, um, the fruit in which all these other things are embedded. You see, love is like tangerine. It's one, but when you open it, it has different words, segments. That's how love is. So when you open love, you find patience. That's what the Bible says, love is patient, yet patience is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love is kind, yet uh, kindness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It didn't call it fruits of the Spirit. You can go and check. Every good Bible says fruit of the Spirit. In other words, it's one fruit God what? Love. And in that fruit, love bears patience. Kindness. Are you seeing that? So he calls it love. See, Love is the highest realm of maturity. If I want to test the maturity of a man, I see it in his love life. And many of you think that Christianity is the life we live in church. When we come in, we are singing praises, and then we bow down to God. We lie down, we cry and weep a little, we clean our eyes, give offering, and go home. And when we go home, we are very opposite of what we did when we came to church. And that's what people don't get. We teach the word so that it influences your marriage. It influences your academic life. It influences your relationship with your siblings. It influences your relationship with your parents. I remember just about two weeks ago, in the morning, um, normally I take care of uh, my son in the morning, then my wife takes care of him the whole day at work. So, uh, the guy pooped, 
And normally I clean it in the morning. So this time around, the poopoo was not uh, kids' poopoo. He wasn't kids' poopoo. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> the, the, the child poopooed beyond. <laughs> it was over his age. It was a matured poopoo. And when I removed it, I was like, uh-uh, I am touching this. <laughs> and, uh, and not only that, it affected the dress the child was wearing. And I said, baby, this is beyond me. Please do it. And my wife said, go and wash it. I said, me? I, no, I, I can't. I can't, baby. I can't. I said, baby, just go and wash You pour water on it. I said, baby, this one is beyond me. You, it's for the women. Please handle it. So I was holding the thing like this. And he said, go and put it in. I said, baby, as for this one, I won't do it. This one is beyond me. This one is for, I, I won't do it. She kept quiet. When she kept quiet, I was going to put it down because this one, was, I've done everything. Only this one, dear. And the Holy Ghost said, this is how your sins were on the cross. When he said it, I didn't need further explanation. I ran to the bathhouse to go and wash it. So my wife came and she saw me washing it. Like this. She was like, ah. So she was shocked. I've not told her. I was washing the thing like that because now I was, now I was having revelation. Christ was washing my sins on the cross like this. <laughs> I pooped all over myself. I was smelling. Jesus didn't hold me like this. He held me like this. He didn't mind the poopoo affecting himself. In fact, he took that poopoo, that mess on himself. He didn't need explanation. I ran. I ran straight and I put it in the water. I, I made sure my hand touched the poopoo and I was washing it like that. And I checked. It was clean. She still didn't understand. Sound doctrine. The Holy Ghost can now rebuke. See, sound doctrine gives a platform for the Holy Ghost to rebuke you now. When you have planned that wicked agenda and the Holy Ghost, hey, stop. And you see, when you have sound doctrine, you have no excuse. You will know that God is talking to you. You want to go and do that thing. And you, you will know there is a resistance. There is something within you. Do you know that I was offended with somebody I did not know? I did not know. I'm confessing to you. I was offended with somebody. And meanwhile, I've taught an offense. And let me tell you, genuinely, it was a soft offense. There's somebody I helped. And I'm forgotten. I had forgotten years ago. And I thought he was going to be with me before I realized he was with someone else. In terms of ministry-wise. So I was hurt. When he heard of my wedding, he said he's not coming for my wedding because I didn't invite him. I have thousands. I know thousands people. How? And this is somebody I've helped. So when I heard that, I was like, how can you do this to me? And this is about three, four years ago. I'd forgotten. And I was preaching about offense. And it was very soft. In my mind, I was like, this guy, I've cut him off my life. I did it softly. Yeah, the Holy Ghost, it wasn't soft. It's not the tone that shows you offended. It's the heart. And I, see, I had forgotten. I was asleep. And I had a dream. And the guy, this is somebody I had forgotten, had come to my hostel. And he was come to ask for something. In the dream, I remember the thing he did to me. I said, ah, what do you want here? Please go. Then I woke up. I said, I, you see, when the Holy Ghost is talking to you, 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 don't, you, you don't need explanations. When I woke up, I knew what happened, what he did to me was what offended me. 
You know what? He himself, because of what he did, he can't call me again. And the Holy Ghost said, I, I, I knelt down. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for keeping so much bitterness in my heart without even knowing I was bitter. So I was apologizing to the Holy Spirit. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. When I woke up from the floor, the Lord says, call him. I said, Lord, I don't have his number. He said, I'll show you. Then the Holy Ghost himself gave me the names that I can use to find out. And his number was there. And his number was three. And the Holy Ghost showed me the specific one that is working. And I, I pressed it and it was going through. I said, hey. So the Holy Ghost, see, he's so particular about everything he teaches you. You don't know. When I called, he picked up with shock. Never expected me to call him. And he says, how are you doing? I said, I'm fine, prof. I said, it's been a long time. I miss you so much. I didn't miss him. <laughs> they said, oh, 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 prof, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm very grateful. I said, how is work? I, I hope everything is fine. Apparently, he had a contract job. And the contract was over, so he was staying home. So the Holy Ghost not, doesn't want me to only forgive him. He wants me to pray for him for a new job. I said, can, you, can we pray? I prayed and blessed him for my heart. And then I cut the line. When I finished, my heart was at peace like never before. Like never before. <laughs> Praise God. It produces fruit. Fruits that, well, see, when you even fight with your wife and you are sleeping, you realize that you'll be turning on the bed like this. You roll to the left, you roll to the right. And it's like you're not happy. You wake up in the morning. See, when sound doctrine produces fruit in you, it is so difficult for you to do certain things. Very difficult. Very, very difficult to do certain things. You'll be so uncomfortable. Things that people can do with ease. When you are doing it, you are not happy. That's what happens. The Holy Ghost can lash you mercilessly. When you are grounded in sound doctrine, he says, the kind of fruit the Holy Spirit produces in our life is love, joy. You can't be a believer with mood swings. And you allow that mood swing to affect other believers that come to you. I'm not in a good mood. So, it affects how you behave. People greet you. You don't respond. You are a bad ambassador. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is joy. It doesn't matter what you are going through. It must not affect that fruit. There are people whose lips are determined by what they have. When they have more, it moves longer. When they have less, it goes inside. Bad ambassador. You are bad, irresponsible ambassador of Christ Jesus. It's your job to be joyful at all times. Whether there is money or not. And many don't know that the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. The reason why you are constantly weak and dry is because you are always moody. Always moody. Always moody. Indoors. You don't talk to anybody. Joyless. How can I smile? When all is not well, you don't understand this thing. That is the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is what happens to you as a result of what is around you. And joy is what happens to you as a result of who is within you. Can you imagine how the apostles died? You know how the apostles died? They all died, I mean, unmerciful deaths. Yet, in their death, they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to die for Jesus Christ. 
How? They told the apostles not to go and preach in the book of Acts. When they told them not to preach, they went to go and preach. And they caught them and gave them lashes. And they went, the Bible says, they went rejoicing. That they were counted worthy to suffer shame for Jesus. Can you imagine people rejoicing after whips for Christ? What whips have you received? I need to ask you. What have you gone through for Jesus? Just two days you didn't have food to eat. And as though the whole world should come and submit to you. You need to understand this. That life will not always go the way you expect it to go. You know why? Because God designed it that way. I explained on Wednesday when God brought Israel out of Egypt. Egypt Israel, they were rejoicing. Why didn't God take them to the promised land instantly? And God took them through the wilderness. God wanted to train them. He wanted to perfect them. See, that hunger that is, has hit you for the past three months is not demonic. Stop binding what God is planning in your life. There are people today who are dis- see, they don't discern anymore. They feel everything is an attack from Satan. And some are now binding what God planted to shape them. There are some things until you go through, you can't learn to trust God. Sometimes, that, see, that broken experience you can have. You see, there are some of you who cannot live without money for three days. You can't. Not even an hour. You will go and ask somebody for money right now. You can't stand being broke. You can't stand not having money. Learn to go through that lifestyle. So that when God brings abundance, you know how to manage it. I'm telling you. Stop running and hiding from God's plan for your life. So keep the joy. Keep the joy. He says patience, kindness is a fruit. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Gentleness is not ability to cross your legs because there are men who were nice you to cross their legs but they beat their wives. Gentility is not crossing your legs. Gentility is a, is a calmness within that influences how you reply people and how you treat people. It's, it's, gentility is within. It's not without. It's an inner calmness. Then self-control. I'm glad it is a spirit control. Self-control. Do you know you can control that temper? You don't know. That thought of retaliating the person, you can control it. That strong edge for sex, you can control it. He calls it self-control. Self-control is the, is the ability of the believer to decide not to do something because he's empowered by the spirit and he does it. Self-control is also called discipline. It's a discipline. Self-control is when you decide that you turn off your phone till 10 a.m. after you're done with your devotion before you respond to any call. It's self-control. So TV is calling, you turn it off. Friends are calling, you turn it off. It's a, it's a control. You gain control over your appetite. You don't eat much so that you can be able to pray. It's called self-control. Many don't know that self-control is part of the fruit of the spirit. Someone came to tell me, Pastor, I don't know. I don't have, I can't control myself when it comes to sex. You can't. It's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. If you can control urine, you can control sex. 
you, so some of you are watching me and you feel like we win, yet the environment is not right, so you can stay for two hours. And when you find a convenient place, you eat yourself. It's the same with sex. You can't destroy the edge, but you can control that edge because it is not really the right frame called marriage. You can. So it's a fruit of the spirit which the believer bears to bring glory to God. When you find a man who is disciplined, you know it's a fruit of the spirit. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Am I helping somebody? So it produces fruit. Look at Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Look. The Bible says, Own no man anything but to love one another. So, see, God is telling us not to owe people. But there's only one debt we have for each other. He says, but to what? Love. So, you owe the one sitting next to you love. An eternal debt called love. Tell someone sitting close to you, you owe me love. Come on, say it again. You owe me love. For he that loveth has fulfilled the... What is he saying? He says, he that loves does not need the Ten Commandments. Look at the next verse. He's not going to quote it. He says, for this, the Lord, Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying. Namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Look at the next verse. Then he says, Love worketh not ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. In other words, when I love you, I will not commit adultery with you. When I love you, I will not covet what you have that I don't have. When I love you, I will not bear false witness of you. That which I have not seen you do, I say you did it. I won't. He says, love worketh no ill. So when we walk in love, we don't need law. Because love becomes the law that governs us. And that is what sound doctrine does. Praise God. I'm teaching good here, man. Look at James chapter 3, the verse 17. James 3, 17. He says, but the wisdom that is above. So that we say wisdom from above. He says, it's first of all pure, then peaceable, then gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy. Full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's the wisdom from above. So a believer now operates this way is operating by a higher realm of wisdom. First John chapter 4 verse 6. This scripture scared the hell out of me. He says, we are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It's going to identify the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Look at the next verse. He says, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God. And what? Knoweth God. 
So to love does not only prove that you are born of God. It proves that you what? That you know God. So if I want to know someone knows God, it's not opening Bible to prove. It is not found in apologetics. Look at the next verse. He says, he that loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. There are many people who don't know God. And they are in church. Why? Because they don't love. Am I helping somebody? Number four. Sound doctrine produces the fear of God in people. It produces the, the fear of God in people. I remember some years ago when I got to understand the message of grace. I didn't, I said, no, 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 no. The fear of God cannot be in the New Testament. Why should a believer fear God? The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. I said, no, no, no. Christ is our wisdom. Until the Spirit of God had to teach me the core essence of the fear of God in the New Testament. Then I understood that without the fear of God as an ingredient in the believer's life, that believer can never produce holiness in his life. Praise God. So I began to study about the fear of God right from the Old Testament into the New. Anybody that walked with God, the Bible says one thing about him, he feared God. He feared God. He feared God. So what is the fear of God? That is where people miss. The fear of God is not running away from God. We call that the spirit of bondage to fear. So there are two fears. The fear of terror. And the fear of commitment. Adam had the spirit of fear which made him run away from God. That was the fear that came as a result of the fall. So when he sinned, he, he was so afraid and terrified that he went to hide. That's the wrong spirit of fear. So God tells us in 2 Timothy 1.7, he says, For God has not given to us the spirit of fear. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, the Bible says, um, um, For we did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. These are two kinds of fear. The fear that makes you run from God. Paul calls it the spirit of bondage to fear. There are many people who have that fear. They are afraid of God. They are scared of God. That God is going to do something bad to them. That's a wrong approach to handling the fear of God. That's a wrong spirit at work. It can be devilish. And that fear came as a result of the fall. So in the New Testament, there is something called the fear of God. And Joseph had that, man. Joseph had free lunch. Potiphar's wife. When she threw, there were the only two people in the room. Can't you finish it and clean your mouth? 
Once you finish it, go and shower down, and nobody's aware, and you're just slept with Potiphar's wife. Can Potiphar, the real life, and nobody saw it. I'm getting somewhere. He could have finished it, and till today, nobody will find out in the Bible that he did it. But for the fear of God, Joseph did not see God with his physical eyes. He saw God with his heart. And he said, how can I do this to God? Look at this man. He said, how can I do this to God? How? And he ran. To an extent that he was falsely accused for an act that demonstrated the fear of God. What is the fear of God? I'll tell you. God said to Abraham, Abraham, give me a sacrifice, which is sacrifice of your one and only son. Sacrifice of your one and only. And Abraham did what? He obeyed God's word by sacrificing his son. So they went, Abraham was about to sacrifice in obedience. And a voice came from heaven and said, Abraham, now I know. Now, what did Abraham do? He obeyed, right? God was supposed to say, now I know that you have what? Obeyed me. You can go and read the Bible. God says, now that I know that you fear me. So I've got to know, fearing God is obeying him. So fearing God is not a confession. I fear God. No, I fear God. Fearing God is obedience. When we obey God's word, we fear God. Look, before we continue, you need to understand this. The fear of God is not terror. The fear of God is a high esteem we place on who God is. That makes us do what pleases him alone. It is a high esteem we place on who God is, that makes us do that which only pleases him. Please, you need to write this down. This is very critical. Fearing God is high respect. It is to love God so much that you begin to hate what he hates and love what he loves. That's the fear of God. You, see, you, you love God so much that Sinning breaks your heart. That's the fear of God. You just can't stand to do that which breaks his heart. It's the fear of God. Jesus went to the temple. And when he went to the temple, they were selling. Doing business in the church. Cheating people. Doing foreign exchange and all that. And the Bible tells us that Jesus got irritated. That irritation came as a result of the fear of God. It was a fear he placed on God's temple. That made him drive away people who disrespected and dishonored God. That act was fear. So Jesus could not stand the illegal things around in the temple. And he says, hey, this house, the Bible says, shall be called a house of prayer. And you have turned it into a den of thieves. See, the fear of God in the believer can make him do certain things. Eh? It can make him do certain things, eh? And people might not even like you. But you see, who are you standing for? God or for men? 
The fear of God is when your friends want to show you, oh, they sent some leak video. Leak video of two people. One from KNUST and one from uh, Pantine Hospital. They are all students. And they went to have sex. And the video has leaked. Come and watch. Hey, these eyes are eyes of honor. The fear of God is when you tell him, I'm not interested. Sorry. Sorry. See, when you say that, it will produce something in that believer. When he goes home, he can't sleep. That act is you imparting the fear of God into him. The fear of God. Is to love God so much that you begin to hate what God hates and love what He loves. It is that which can, that makes you feel uncomfortable in the midst of where lust and evil is being produced. You were invited for a party, and in the party, people started just drinking, doing all kinds of mess. You just enter into your coil. After some time, you realize how uncomfortable you live. You know why? Because such environments can affect, it can affect and influence you. It's the fear of God. Many don't know this. It's the fear of God. I didn't know this before. So many people have compromised so many things without knowing that they should have, in fear of God, resisted. I'm teaching good here. These eyes knows its limits. These legs knows its limits. This mind knows its limits. I'm going to be teaching you soon. There's something called desensitization. And you see, that is what the world is selling to us today. The world will just look at a celebrity who has a lot of influence and the devil will poison so much lust in that celebrity that will make him or her bring out naked videos, have naked videos for fame and publicity. And many believers will be happy watching, flipping through before you realize adrenaline of lust is injected through you and you don't know why you are having those dreams. These eyes are eyes of honor. You have no idea that a Christian has a responsibility in protecting what enters into his heart. So, we watch movies of people shooting people in the head, betraying people, people committing adultery. And you know, the way the movies are acted, they are acted in a way that they are so interesting, you are anticipating the next cheat. I'm telling you, so soon in your mindset, you begin to accept adultery in marriage because the movies have now showed us how gays and lesbians are now friends. In fact, they had best friends together with them. So psychologically, you are being desensitized. Now you soon, you don't see anything wrong with lesbianism. You don't see anything wrong with masturbation. You don't see anything wrong with um, pornography because I've been watching the women with their brow already. So if they remove it, it's just a little feather then in your mind, you are desensitized. So you don't see anything wrong. Then gradually, it is destroying you. What I'm saying is a very serious thing. That's what the devil is doing to us today. Then gradually destroying us. He's using celebrities to destroy us. Pumping 
so many things in our minds. Now we are under pressure. We don't understand why. We have been reading our Bibles, but there are other things we are reading that is not edifying. It's desensitizing us. Now we see people shooting people in the head. Children shooting people in movies. Now crime rates is beginning to increase. You know why? As they watch, they are desensitized. Now we don't see anything wrong when people are shot. Because our mindsets have been corrupted. We don't see anything wrong. Last time I'm told that there's a, a program that's being done called uh, uh, Big Brother Niger. And they are all camped in one room. And to an extent, they have sex in the room. When they are not married to each other. And they are having sex. And there are people who are 24 hours. Big bro, Niger. And guess what is happening to them? Now, in their minds, they are beginning to feel sleeping with somebody just for the fun of it is okay. The day the chance comes, you know what has happened? For three years, you have packed and heaped that desire. It is just looking for a moment to explode. That faithful day, and that lady says, I'm coming to visit you. Big bro Niger will begin to expand in your heart. All the movies you watched, all the things you watched that part up last, they'll start pushing, pumping. Boy, you can do it. You can do it. Do it better for you than you're doing it. It's pumping you. And you don't know what happened. You laid a foundation and it exploded. It didn't happen one day. It happened many years ago. You were just looking for a moment. And that Kairos moment came. I learned to develop the fear of God in my heart by, by training myself to feel uncomfortable with things I know will affect me. And I trained myself for it. It got to a time in the evenings, some time ago, I, I watched horror movies. And surprisingly, when I sleep, I have horror movie dreams. And I came to discover that whatever you feed your eyes with enters your heart. So there are some songs that, you see, there are some songs that you did not plan to write it down to learn. But you can sing everything. That tells you that there are some videos you have watched. It's been 10 years, but the memory is still there. So when the opportunity is exposed, that video will play in your subconscious mind. And you will do something out of that video without knowing that it is a 10 years video that is fighting you. Am I helping somebody? See, control, see, control, control, control. Things that pollute your heart. I'm telling you. Temptations come from three sources. Number one, the devil. Number two, the flesh. Number three, the world. All our temptations come from there. So when these three things are working, they are empowering us to live for pleasure. And the goal of all these things is to draw your heart away from God. See, everything that is not leading you to God is drawing you away from God. When somebody stops coming to church, it did not begin with one day. It began years ago. By what was feeding them. People are not corrupted in one day. It starts gradually, gently. I remember on campus, there was a CD movie I was watching. It's called Spartacus. 
That movie did a lot of harm to my heart. Because it was not only bloody, it was sexy. And on campus, I watched Patakosa. Adiachi. Now, Jesus. Spatakos. It, it was patakotelize your life. Not knowing, I was storing up treasures in my heart without knowing. Let's move on. Why? <laughs> so, you see, you see there, are some, there are some CC movies that are come. The, the, your, your favorite ones are the ones that has more sex scenes. Bro, if you don't delete that movie here, you are, you, are burying your, see, you are burying yourself gradually. You can be watching the thing and when it's coming close to the sex scene, you are happy. It's like, hey, Randy, you're sweet, Randy. <laughs> it's like, I can't wait. <laughs> Keep waiting. <laughs> you have no idea. Gradually, it is desensitizing you. The day for your hood will catch fire. That fire go boom. <laughs> I'm helping somebody here. Let me do this in five minutes. Have I helped somebody? Second Corinthians chapter 7, the verse 1. Look, he says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting what? Holiness in the fear of God. So I realized the ingredients for a man to produce holiness is the fear of God. So when you remove the fear of God out of grace, you are free to do all kinds of things. This is what helped me. You need to write this down. The fear of God is an essential component of the true grace of God. The fear of God is an essential component of the true grace of God. That means the grace of God, that doesn't include reverential fear of God, is incomplete. This will help somebody. Some years ago, because I cast away the fear of God, there were some things I've started not to see anything wrong with it again. It's like, I'm like, oh, it's not, I mean, it's nothing. I mean, Christ has already done it all. Not knowing the fear of God was the ingredient. It was the ingredient to the grace of God that keeps the believer in check. God is not around, yet he can see God in his heart. See, the fear of God is a spiritual hormone in the believer. That makes him God conscious that no other thing separates him. It, it's, a, it's a hormone. You must activate it. Begin to feel comfortable, uh, begin to feel uncomfortable saying certain things you know it doesn't bring glory to God. Create it. So the fear of God is to love and respect God so much that we fear breaking his heart. It's a spiritual hormone in the believer that makes him love what God loves and hate what God hates. And listen, we cannot serve God effectively without the fear of God. Haven't you realized that some of our fathers, they didn't have the revelation we had, but their lifestyle was very unique. Haven't you realized that? It was the fear of God. The fear of God can catapult a man to live a certain mature life. People wouldn't understand. It's the fear of God. So some of our fathers did not have the revelation we have today. But when you look at them, you find so much perfection in their act 
and their character that you want that these people are being with Jesus is the fear of God. It's the ingredient that makes believers godly and holy. Take it out of your life and welcome to the life of destruction. In fact, some changed the very day they took the fear of God out of their Christianity. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Look, he says, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace. Whereby we may serve God acceptably with what? With what? Reverence and godly fear. We serve God with what? Reverence and godly fear. After we have had grace. That's what the Bible is saying. So it is the ingredients. So you can write this down. The fear of God is an expression of reverence toward God, proving that we don't take his grace for granted. Let me repeat that again. The fear of God is an expression of reverence towards God, proving that we don't take his grace for granted. And several times in the New Testament, we found that the fear of God is going to be a teaching I'm going to handle separately. Alright, last but not the least, sound doctrine shows people Christ, not self. 2 Corinthians 4.5 Sound doctrine shows people Christ, not self. Look, he says, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. See, when people are fed with sound doctrine, they become Christ-centered and Christ-conscious. Their actions are even influenced by Christ. A lot of times you hear a lot of teachings that goes on, which is always centered on self, 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 self. No wonder when I teach the believer about the right conduct, I let him understand that it is in the empowerment of the spirit. So sound doctrine shows people who? Christ and not what? Self. I think this will be the final one. Sound doctrine reveals the total counsel of God. It reveals the total counsel of God. Now, when you read the entire Bible, you're going to discover that the apostles preached the full counsel of God. Now, the church of today has missed a lot because we, we actually do major and minor when it comes to sound teachings. There are some churches when you go, they only talk about new creation realities. You don't find any other teaching there. Only new creation realities. That church will be deficient. There are some churches when you go, they only center on right living. That church will also be deficient. There are some churches when you go, they are major. Is the only center on prayer. That church will be deficient. Because the apostles majored on every spiritual course as it pertains to the full counsel of God. So, sound doctrine reveals the full counsel of God for your marriage, for your life, for righteousness, 
for holiness, for our conduct in Christ, our submission to authority all around. It makes the believer healthy all around. No wonder there are believers who are very good serving God, but they are bad husbands or bad wives. Because that is all they know. So, look at what Apostle Paul said in Acts 20, 27. This blessed me. He says, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So, we are to receive all the counsel of God. So, there are people who think when we preach grace, every day for the rest of our lives, we only come and tell you, you are righteous. You are holy. You are seated with Christ. You, you have the fullness of God in you. Beloved, all is well. Christ has fought the fight. He has paid the price. Nothing to do. Just relax. Rest in the honeymoon experience of God's grace. So people don't have the revelation of the full counsel. Now, something happened in, uh, Paul says something in Ephesians chapter 4, the verse 11. You need to write this down. 11 to 15. Look, uh, come to the verse 12. He gave some apostles, prophets, pastors. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Uh -huh. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stage of the fullness of Christ. Uh -huh. He says that we henceforth be no more tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine and by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Now look at the next verse. He says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in, into him in what? All things which is the head. So we are to grow up into Christ into how many things? All things. So God wants your marriage to be rich in God's word. He wants how you relate to people at your office to be rich in God's word. So he wants you to grow in all things in patience. There are some people who are good in patience, but they are very terrible in forgiving people. So he says, grow into him in all things. And some, you see, that's why in the LGC, you, you won't find us just teaching only one aspect of the revelation of God. We will teach you the what? The entire counsel of God. Because that is what will make you healthy as a believer. Am I helping somebody at all? Good. So today I've talked for long. Let me finish because I want to finish with sound doctrine. Alright, so quickly, what breeds heresies? So I'm going to brush it quickly. What breeds heresies? Number one, when men want a name for themselves. What produces or breeds false teaching or heresies? When men want a name for themselves, uh, people want to be creative with God's word. They want to be uh, originators and do witty inventions with God's word. I was the first to preach this message. Nobody has preached it. I was like that before. <laughs> they want to make a name for themselves so that they, they'll be tagged as the first to preach. Prophet Isaac Lapapo, no size. Welcome to heresy. You'll get there one day. 
if that's how you, you, you want to make a name for yourself, so, so that they will tag you with that revelation that you are the first who revealed it. Number two, when men want to sound deep or say what has not been said before, as for this revelation, it has never been said anywhere before. Be careful. Tear robber revelation. <laughs> Be careful. There is nothing new. Whatever you have said, it has been said before. Whatever you have taught, it has been taught before. So when you get to that angle, when you begin to search for scriptures so that uh, it becomes competitive, you want to be the first to announce some revelation that has not been announced before. Get ready for error. Finally, before we close, when people stop praying and become academic with the scriptures, when people stop praying and become academic scholars with the scriptures, Many don't know. Many people think it's just about reading, reading, reading the Bible, getting revelation, teaching, teaching, teaching. If you, if you enter into that realm, you're in trouble. When you, be, you begin to get academic, you only do Bible reading, Bible study, Greek. Most of the scholars who translated the Bible, most of them ended up being unbelievers. So, don't try to be scholastic when you don't pray again. See, prayer is the will of the believer. You are not beyond your prayer life. No Christian can be above his prayer life. Please, this is so important though. When you lose your prayer life, you have lost the most important ingredients of your life. I'm telling you this. You are in danger without a prayer life. You know why? Because prayer keeps you in check. It is in prayer the Holy Ghost can rebuke you for your excesses. There have been exorcists the Holy Ghost has rebuked me only when I was praying alone. He said, this teaching, be careful how you present it because it can cause trouble. Be careful. Pa! Then I amend it. It does not happen when you are doing Bible study. It happens in prayer. Prayer is the school of the spirit. God is not looking for eloquent preachers. He's looking for traveling preachers. <laughs> you know why? Because you can just look into a book and preach. You just need information to preach. But you cannot pretend to pray. Are you seeing that? See, preaching is for men. Prayer is on, on, only unto God. So you can't fake it. I love a man I was reading from. He says there are too many organizers, few agonizers. He says there are too many singers, few clingers. Too many players, few prayers. His name is Lionel, Lionel Ravenhill. He says a believer who keeps singing will stop praying, and a believer who starts praying will stop singing. <laughs> No believer is above his prayer life. See, prayer is not for prayer warriors. It is a daily necessity for the upkeep of the believer. A believer who is not praying is playing. 
A believer who is not praying is trained. If I want to know if a believer is trained, I know it by his prayer life. For the past one month, you have not prayed. See, you have strayed. You have strayed. You have strayed. And many don't know this. This man said, to be much for God, be much with God. <laughs> I read one of his books. You guys need to get it. The title is When Revival Tarries. That book broke me down. And I realized that the prayer life of the believer is the true evidence of his spiritual health. If you are not praying, you are spiritually sick. And many don't know this. So you take so many things for granted. I will never trust a great preacher. I will trust a man who prays. Because like I told you, you can listen to an audio uh, uh, preaching and preach the same thing. You can produce the same thing. But you cannot do a photocopy of prayer. Can you? You can't do photocopy prayer. Because a man cannot impart his prayer life. That's why prayer is a discipline. Never wake up not praying. Never sleep not praying. Please. It's my final words to you. When you lose your prayer life, you have lost one of the most essential parts of your life. And that's why I said, if you're a married man, you, the husband, is the head of the house. You must be a priest of the house. You and your wife don't go out until you have prayed. It's a discipline. It's a discipline. It is one difficult thing to do. Especially when both of you have different times you wake up. But when you get this, I'm telling you, your marriage is already fixed. Because you cannot fight and pray together. It's not possible. How can two enemies be praying together? So prayer becomes the binding element that keeps the marriage surviving. So imagine married couples who have not prayed for six months. They have not done morning devotion for six months. You are in trouble. You are in trouble. Someone says, man of God, we are always fighting. We are always fighting. Hey, you always fight. (laughs) You always fight. Because there is nothing binding or holding the marriage. No word, no revelation, no prayer. You will fight. And I have news for you. The fight will grow. It's not a prophecy. I'm telling you. Because prayer, it is the foundation of everything. Your business must be founded on prayer. Your education must be founded on prayer. Your new job must be founded on prayer. Because you need, you see, Daniel was a politician. He was a, pol- a political prophet. He, his life was full of prayer. That's why he was a successful politician. Go and look at the politicians, uh, politicians we have in Ghana. They would change zeros in a checkbook. Cheat a whole nation. And they don't find anything wrong with it. And then they'll buy a house at Trazaco for an 18-year-old girl who freckles fr- the, the buttocks for five minutes. All these politicians are there. And people who have degrees don't have jobs. And one politician is employing... Uh, 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 st- uh, <laughs> Someone says, hold your fire. I've heard the fire. Look at Daniel's lifestyle as a politician. 
See, you need prayer for everything. No, don't joke. There's somebody at your office who doesn't like the job you are doing. You don't know what I'm talking about. My dad will always pray with my mom. That's how we learned it. So they imparted that life to us. So I also transferred it into marriage. One time he went to the office. No, no, somebody was fighting for his position. The person went to put uh, 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 juju powers under my father's chair. And that day, when my father came to work, he would always sit down and pray on the chair. That day, he did not pray. He, he, <laughs> he just put his briefcase down and he went out. He didn't know what made him go out. Unfortunately, a certain man came, one of the workers came and sat on the chair. The man died. So that plot was meant for my father. And you people think everything is okay. See, we are living in an evil world. A man and a woman were having a wedding. That same day, when they were about to close the wedding, a snake came from the green grass that they, they laid on the carpet. And a snake came to bite the husband. And the man died. They didn't see the snake again. Wedding day. And you pray about everything. See, if you pray, only when you are in trouble, then you are in trouble. There are some of you, your, your prayer life activated when you have two days to interview. Oh Lord, like a kakras. Pra pra katuka. Nanwa katuka. Say, It doesn't work that way. That's when you know how to pray. When they've told you that after two days, you are about to resign. We are about to take you out of work. Then that's when you know how to pray. Manoko, Eshadaba, Radihuyamabo, Elabababa, Ebroko. Then you'll be calling Pastor, Pastor, I don't want to lose this job, Pastor. You know I have three children, Pastor. I'm for, Pastor, you will lose it. You'll lose it. And people are frustrating pastors for nothing. They don't do their homeworks. Attacks coming from the east, from the north, from the south. You don't pray. How can you stand? See, we don't only pray to win, we pray to stand. So that we are fortified to be able to stand at all points. So nothing takes us by surprise. When our boss tells you, you have two days. You have two days. We are sacking you. You smile. Okay. You go back. That prayer has already been your lifestyle. You go back. Rando. So Lord, I'm here as usual. <laughs> some of you, God has never found you in prayer. When the day is finding you coming like this. My bro, Make a fool, Jesus. Ah, Every Sorry, Sorry Sorry. You only came to God because you needed something from him. Fifold for believers. You come to God to come and check your account. You don't have a prayer life. See, we don't pray into problems. We pray so that when the problem comes, we know how to handle it. That's the life of Daniel. He'll be fasting when there's no problem. They, see, the king had a dream. They called all the magicians and they said, listen, you know what the king said? He said, I won't tell you the dream. Tell me the dream I had and interpret. How? <laughs> and those, the magicians who couldn't, they killed all of them. Daniel had a prayer life. 
It was said Daniel prayed three times a day, morning, afternoon, evening. And they called him. He says, okay, no problem. Just give me some few days. And he went into his prayer closet. He, he saw the dream and he interpreted the dream. And he was elevated. There are some of you, you are the solution to your company's problems. But when the, your boss sees you, you he, he sees you as a bedding. Why wouldn't they release your salary? <laughs> and some of you, you are just, you, you don't have a prayer life. That's your problem. So your business went all of a sudden within one year. You shot, made double profit. All of a sudden, it started coming down. You don't have a, you don't pray into business. See, you have a prayer life. Oh. Pray into your marriage. Oh. Don't be saying, oh, Father, it is finished. Pray. Pray into your business. Pray into your family. There are some strings that are... See, it is only you that has the revelation of the new creation reality. Your family members don't know. So those who don't know, they will die as ignorant people. So you must stand as a priest and let that revelation influence their lives through prayer. Our Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray for my family. And people say, Father, I can't pray for long. Listen, if you want to pray for long, have a list. Write the names of people you are are going to intercede for. When you write a long list of people to intercede for, your prayer life will change. Because by the time you start praying for the first, second, third, fourth person, you have prayed 30 minutes already. See, I pity you if you don't have a prayer life. I'm telling you the truth. I pity you. You are in big trouble. Someone says, my problems are too many. I don't even have joy to pray. That's the more reason you should pray. You see, doing this all night you're about to do, I'm coming to teach you the power of fasting. See, when you are in a serious crisis, when you know nothing can, can solve this problem, enter into a fast. You'll be shocked. Enter into a fast. You'll be shocked. I'm teaching this. Tell somebody close to you, have a prayer life. Have a prayer life. I've closed. I speak in tongues. In the Holy Ghost. My spirit cries. Elohim. Adonai. I speak in tongues. In the Holy Ghost. My spirit cries. Elohim Adonai I speak in tongues In the Holy Ghost Come on, speak in the Spirit My Spirit Christ Elohim Adonai Lift your voice and pray in tongues Come on, speak in the Spirit Come on, pray, pray, pray Pray into your prayer life Come on, pray into your prayer life. I speak in tongues. Come on, lift your voice and pray in the spirit. My spirit cries. Elohim, Adonai. Let me hear you pray. Come on. I speak in tongues. Hey, come on, pray in the Holy Ghost. My spirit cries, Elohim, Adonai. Ay, 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 ay. Ay, 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 ay. 
Elohim Adonai. Come on, pray louder, pray louder. Oh, lift your voice. Lift your voice and pray. Ay 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 Elohim I speak in tongues Let your voice and speak in tongues in the Holy Ghost My spirit cries Elohim Adonai Come on I speak in tongues I speak in tongues in the Holy Ghost Spirit cries, Elohim Adonai. Come on, I speak. I speak in tongues in the Holy Ghost. Hey, my spirit cries, Elohim, Elohim Adonai. I speak in tongues. I speak in tongues in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, my spirit cries, my spirit cries, Elohim, Elohim, Adonai. I speak in tongues, I speak in tongues, speak in the Holy Ghost, come on, in the Holy Ghost, my heart cries to you, Jesus, my spirit cries, Elohim, Elohim, Adonai. Lift your voice and pray. Ay, 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 ay,
Ayah, 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 ayah